Yeah, yeah, it's actually the only trailer where the trailer reaction videos are shorter. Hello and welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. I'm Rick Thomas. And I'm Derek Liu. Um, so we've launched. It was very exciting. We had uh, we had quite a week. Lots of people have been giving us great feedback and uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, we heard from some people in the trailer industry, which is a little bit nerve-wracking, but of course we expected that to happen. Yeah, definitely. I, I do want to kind of caveat things with, um, you know, I work in the industry i know how much hard work everyone puts into these things so i don't want to criticize anyone's work i want to talk constructively about you know how these things are made and and kind of what you can learn from that and i'm not working in hollywood but i also know how much work goes into making movie trailers so uh my goal is to be critical but not unfair and and the same goes for the game trailer industry. Um, so for today, we thought that we would talk a little bit about our process, specifically the very beginning of the process of making a trailer. So not really into the whole part about the actual editing, but there's just a whole lot of prep work that goes before then. And then also a lot of work that goes into figuring out the direction and the ideas around the trailer. Yeah, everything until you kind of put something down on a timeline, because uh, the more work you do, then it makes the uh, the kind of later process easier. Yeah, and it's also the part of the process that's probably the hardest, at least for me, because there's just nothing more intimidating than having a blank timeline. And then kind of once you get over the hump of the direction and the music, especially, I would say, the whole thing becomes a lot easier. But before we get into that, we wanted to talk about a few specific trailers again. Yeah, because the Golden Trailer Awards happened, which you went to, right? I did. I went to. I didn't actually get to the ceremony this year because I couldn't get out of the edit bay. But I I did go to the party and I saw a lot of people and everyone was having a great time and a lot of great work was celebrated. Um, So I wanted to talk about a couple of trailers that won there. Uh, And the first one is the trailer for A Star Is Born. Maybe it's time to let the old. And I think you pointed out to me that it's the only trailer, and I don't think I, I really realized. So it's neither a teaser nor a regular trailer. It's just the kind of main trailer for that. Yeah, actually, on YouTube, it says Starsborn Official Trailer 1, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't any other trailer. Or if there was, it probably wasn't as memorable as this one, because this is the one that everyone shared and watched, and it has millions and millions of views on YouTube. Yeah, it is a prestigious trailer. Um, it won Best Drama on the night, um, but I knew it won a Webby Award. It was on so many top-of-the-year lists last year. It was kind of universally recognized as the best trailer of the year. And it's really interesting to kind of dive into to why that might be and why it might be so kind of acclaimed and so successful. And for me, ultimately, it's a very kind of satisfying experience as a trader and I think this is almost a kind of masterclass in revealing information. Yeah, I saw this trailer first in theaters and I remember when it first started and uh, Bradley Cooper starts singing. First of all, I was wondering is that even his voice because it was I mean he's a really good singer it turns out. And then my first impression was, oh, is this a biopic or is this based off a real singer or something like that? But And then also, I didn't recognize Lady Gaga until the credits, because you usually see her in, in all her makeup and her costumes. Yeah, it's not a biopic. It's just the eighth time that they've done this story, basically. <laughs> right. I think every generation has its star is born. Yeah, what was your first impression when you saw it? Uh, my first impression was just I was kind of 
impressed and excited and I was intrigued to see what was going on here. Um, and it's just a really well-constructed trailer. And, and we've talked about one of the most important things in trailers being music. And I think here, this is a really good illustration of what you can do with a cue. I think they go between several versions of the songs and there's a structural bit into the trailer where it starts just playing out the lyrics a cappella, and you've got these kind of pads behind it and it works really well. Tell me something, girl. And there's a bit where he's kind of, it's talking about potentially he's kind of alcoholic and it's got this kind of like really high-pitched tinnitus tone that's kind of in there and then it teases out the song. I mean, you've got a really well-written song as well, which kind of helps and it always helps when you've got great music in the film. Yeah, and when you have music which is related to the story and then you can then use that music along with its lyrics in the trailer, then uh, you're not missing out on any storytelling opportunity. You're just using everything and it all goes together really well. I watched this trailer a whole bunch of times and I think the thing that strikes me is just how, like you said, satisfying this trailer is. And I think it's because it's just this really complete story arc. So you have the character... Uh, Bradley Cooper is a singer and um, Dave Chappelle's worried about him. He's, he's drinking. Then he meets Lady Gaga, who is very introverted and doesn't want to sing in front of other people. Or rather, she doesn't want to sing her own songs. And then there's a little bit of romance. There's a cute moment where it's like, I just want to take another look at you. And they get the romance part done really, really quickly, which is both... Uh, I say testament to the trailer and the just the film itself and then they have the part where she's singing it's like we've had this complete story arc of I don't want to sing but then I'm going to sing and then I think having this emotional music with a whole bunch of shots from the movie on top of it just makes it even more emotional it's almost like she's seeing her future sort of And then also there's a lot of nice beats in that music that they can um, cut the visuals to and sync everything up. Yeah, the sound design is is actually really great in this, even though it's subtle, it's impactful. It's certainly not uh, in the realm of John Wick 3, which we're going to talk about later. But yeah, and I think actually there's a really interesting storytelling lesson here, which is um, I'm pretty sure that that big turn, the kind of get up and sing your song, I feel like that's around the kind of first act of the movie and it's not as mm-hmm. kind of big a moment as it is in this trailer because obviously a lot happens after that point and she has a whole, I hope I'm not spoiling A Star Is Born, but you know, she has a whole career and there's a, there's a whole lot of drama that happens. But that's a real kind of human moment and it's a really clever move making that the turn of the trailer. Yeah, and they do cut out a little bit of that song just kind of skip to the really climactic moment, uh, which makes sense. It just totally works that it's like, by skipping to this part of the song, it makes the act of singing in front of the crowd kind of even bigger, because can you imagine if you had to go sing in front of a crowd and the first note that you sing is like this really big moment instead of kind of working way up to it? Um, Actually, something else that this reminded me of, which... Coincidentally, another Bradley Cooper movie. It sort of reminded me a little bit of the American Sniper trailer, which is totally Mm. different (laughs) in some ways, but it's similar in that it's kind of structured around this one scene, which in American Sniper is that he's a sniper and he's 
wondering whether or not he should shoot. But then even during that, there's a montage of different parts of the movie during this one intense moment. It's kind of like the same structure to it. At least that's how it felt to me. Yeah, she's got a grenade. She's got an RKG Russian grenade. She's saying to the kid. You say a woman and a kid? You got eyes on this? Can you confirm? Yeah, that trailer is great to, to kind of look back on as well. You can almost picture an alternate trailer for this, which really dealt with more drama, had in other sections. Maybe the, the kind of pinnacle of this trailer was that trailer's act one turn, and you had a whole load of things after that. But, um, you know, maybe they were aiming for this to be the teaser trailer and there would have been a full story trailer, but then they saw the impact this had and just said, you know what, actually, right, <laughs> this is great and, and, you know, we don't need any more. Yeah, and the other thing that I think works really well about this trailer is that it's a complete story arc, but we can still tell that this isn't the end of the movie. Like this one moment of singing, this clearly still feels like somewhere in the middle at the very most. So I think, you know, no one had any sort of adverse reaction saying, hey, you showed the whole movie. Um, it's just kind of like this, this one section, but it was just satisfying to watch. Yeah, and because it kind of shows a montage of shots and says, hey, there's a lot more. We're kind of showing you some of it, but, you know, we're not going into any kind of detail on those moments so it feels huge yeah and speaking of things that are huge uh <laughs> at the golden trailers the trailer for john wick 3 parabellum the conversation trailer which was cut by av squad won the best in show and also best action and this is the trailer that uses um the impossible dream from man of la mancha right yeah previously seen on honda adverts oh really but now uh, <laughs> trailerized within an inch of its life Something I I thought of when I was watching this was the cliche about the, the cover songs is that it's a dark version of the song. But this is just a cover of The Impossible Dream. You know, it's not dark and edgy. It's actually very kind of triumphant and I wouldn't say happy, but, you know, it's, it's a very rousing sort of cover of the song. Yeah, I feel like it's counterpoint, um, which is why it works so well. You've got that kind of swagger playfulness and it leans into this epic song and, and you didn't need to do anything other than the original although they do do quite a lot of work to boost it in terms of sound design and also music mm -hmm. um, but this trailer just feels it feels big it feels eventy it feels confident obviously John Wick's got a lot of love coming out of the second one yeah and I think um, the structure of this trailer is just really satisfying because it has a very kind of gradual rise to it where it has the sense of anticipation, which is basically just mirroring the beginning of John Wick 3, where he's not quite wanted, and they're just waiting for everything to get started when everyone's going to be hunting for him. So there's a really good sense of anticipation where we just we want to see him shooting and using judo and everything, and then there's just this explosion of energy once the, the music really kicks in, and we basically, as the trailer audience, just get exactly what we want out of this trailer. Yeah, and other kind of trailer stuff that they're doing in there. You know, you've got a lot of ticks going on in the music at the start, and ticking is something you do often for tension um, as a kind of device. But in this, it kind of works because it's a real, actually hits that kind of story point of, you know, where it's ticking down to the point where it's fair game on John Wick. 
uh, and it dovetails really well into the cue. And then also at the end, you've got that rhythmic editing that we were talking about last time in a kind of not in your face way, in a way that feels reverential and, and suitable to the cue. Yeah, it just I think this trailer and Stars Born, they're just a really good example of the trailers really mirroring the film that they're for. Yeah, and that's kudos to the people making these movies because who would have known that Keanu Reeves could be an action star again? Yeah. <laughs> and also they brought back Morpheus for this. Yes. And there is another trailer for this where he says, guns, I'm going to need a lot of guns. Right, right. So the other thing we wanted to talk about, another big trailer that came out in the last couple of weeks, is the release date revealed trailer for Death Stranding, which is the new Hideo Kojima game that people have been hotly anticipating uh, ever since he left Konami and he's not on Metal Gear Solid anymore. <laughs> I'm curious, what did you know anything about Death Stranding before you watched this? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I recognize the name from Metal Gear Solid, um, yeah. but that's about it. So, um, so I'm kind of blown away by this trailer because I, I started watching this trailer and this trailer is nine minutes long. Yes. And I saw, I watched I'd, I'd watched the trailer for about a minute and a half and I hadn't realized the runtime. And I'd read a couple of cards and I'd seen a guy do something with a ladder. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, okay, okay we're going into this and then i looked at the runtime and went oh okay so we're really we're really going on a journey here it's actually the only trailer where the trailer reaction videos are shorter yeah <laughs> so if for people who don't know hideo kojima edits his own trailers and this one actually he gave himself credit at the very end it says edited by hideo kojima because um especially since metal gear solid 5 he's just been plastering his name everywhere on his work so all of his trailers have tended to be, I'd say at least nine to ten minutes is pretty normal, if not longer. And they're kind of less trailers in the traditional sense. They kind of fall in the category of he can do whatever the heck he wants because people really want to see anything from his games, especially with this game, because despite having, I think, two or three other trailers, there were still so many unanswered questions, and there still are after this one. But I think just the audience was just really, really hungry to get some sort of details. Like, what do you do in this game where Norman Reedus is pregnant or something and there's all these weird oil entities like looking at the gameplay at the beginning with the the ladder and the the hook where he's rappelling down if you think about it those gameplay moments aren't really that exciting but they spend a really long time on it it just like feels like they know that people just eat up the entire thing well yeah i mean that's interesting i mean yes it's an unconventional structure for a trailer but would people watch just a kind of 10-minute gameplay demo of this game. I think 100% yes, they would. Yeah, so if you're going to do that, it's almost like that's where they started and then they interspersed some trailery moments and some copy runs right. and some cutscenes mm -hmm. to keep it interesting. I mean, there is some fantastic imagery here. Like, it starts with interesting visuals of a baby. and uh... Yeah, if you think about this trailer, it's a nine-minute teaser in terms of the visuals and the story points that they give you. Because... Really, for a nine-minute trailer, you still don't know much about what's going on. Um, and then towards the end especially, they just start throwing images. There's no apparent connection to a lot of it. 
And again, he can just get away with it because people are going to screenshot this and then speculate and make YouTube videos. You say getting away from it and it's kind of the audience accepts that that is it. But is it a successful piece of marketing? Is it piquing anyone's interest who wouldn't be interested anyway? I saw some comments from someone who said they have no previous history with Hideo Kojima. And they said, my interest has peaked which is kind of good enough. I mean, just like you said, the images are so weird and unconventional that I I think it's kind of hard to not be at least a little bit intrigued and maybe, I don't know, check out reviews when the game comes out. But then, yeah, everyone who's already a fan, it's barely necessary to make something this long. You could have like a single frame of everything from this trailer and make it like 30 seconds and people would still love it. But I would say the the music and everything was nice and exciting. So it was still trailer-like. Yeah, definitely. And and people will maybe kind of pick and choose and skip on a bit because some of it is at that kind of slow pace where you can skip forward yourself and get this almost kind of create your own experience with the trailer. Because people's attention spans on the internet, I don't know if they do go to nine minutes, but then maybe if you're a fan for something like this. Yeah, on Twitter I was saying that the, the formula for a Kojima trailer is grandiose dialogue, Uh, music credits, which is a very Japanese trailer thing, lots of gameplay footage, minimal plot, uh, cast and character montage, and a really, really long button. It's, It's basically two or three buttons, as far as I remember, which is kind of standard for Hideo Kojima. Like, even in his games, sometimes it'll be like the end, but actually, oh, there's another... 90 minute cutscene. And actually that's kind of interesting talking about kind of people's attention span on the internet because we actually had a comment this week on our forum Um, but someone mentioned uh, trailer bumpers and uh, the five second trailer for the trailer that you get before traders. Right. Uh, And this is a kind of common complaint about traders at the moment and uh, the basic consensus is that it really helps and you know it it kind of draws people's attention in it's good to get your stars and the name of the film out there early and and basically it works in terms of keeping people's attention i prefer it as an editor when we get to do something interesting with it and you're you're kind of not maybe using the music cue that you're using at the very start of the trailer so you've got this weird kind of double start or you're not ruining all your amazing shots so people are going to feel like they're seeing the same stuff it's, it's nice when you can do something different I think that Annabelle Creation had a really good one where it was using the process of making Annabelle also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had a great one recently with Brad Pitt going like hey I'm coming up on TV I mean at what point does it cease to be the teaser for the trailer and just part of the trailer and like the cold open yeah well I do think that learning has affected trailers and I think we've talked previously about kind of rug pull trailers like South Park or or the Scooby-Doo trailer where he was Batman being kind of a thing of the past and I think that now people are opening with bigger shots and and not kind of teasing things out and and showing kind of shots of cities and things like that because you want to get people's attention straight in so I think actually the success of those trailer bumpers has actually affected how we cut. Actually, one other comment we got was that we used a lot of terminology that people might not necessarily know because it's sort of industry terms. And you just used one. Can you explain what a rug pull trailer is? Yeah, absolutely. So a rug pull trailer is a trailer that pulls the rug under your feet. So it says, hey, this is some, this is one thing. Uh, and then it pulls the rug and reveals that it was another thing. So uh, the classic example I was talking about there was the South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut trailer where I think it was like it was teasing it to make it look like it was some sort of advanced CG technology animation film, and then it all flattens out and reveals that it's Cartman. Yeah, which is a classic kind of rug pull. The Scooby-Doo one that I was talking about there was Haunted Mansion and you think that it's Batman because you see these ears in a flash of lightning and it seems like it's the Batman mask, but actually then the lights come on and it's Scooby-Doo. Throughout the ages... There has been one hero standing watch over us all. Oh, really? Uh-uh. 
Um, and the difficulty there with kind of rug pull traders is one, you want to get that pertinent information out there straight away. And also now, if you're watching the Scooby Doo trailer, it says Scooby Doo trailer. <laughs> <laughs> right on, on YouTube. YouTube you know what the, you're watching the, title. Um, the Muppets true. actually did a really interesting thing to get around there because they did a rug pull trader pretending that um, I think it was the first Muppets film was a romance um, mm-hmm. and they actually released the YouTube video uh, under a fake name that wasn't the Muppets to kind of I think oh. it was Green with Envy or something like that yeah yeah I remember that now um, which was a really clever tactic to keep the rug pull. Yeah, I remember the the one that stands out for me most was, I think, the second Austin Powers film, where the beginning, it looks like it might be a new Star Wars film because I think like Phantom Menace was coming out. So they make you think that they're going to reveal the Emperor from Star Wars. And then the chair turns around and it's Dr. Evil. Years ago, a battle was fought and an empire was destroyed. Now, the saga will continue. You were expecting someone else? And I was actually with a friend in the theater at the time, and he screamed out because he was so upset. (laughs) It's funny, though, because... I feel like I can always tell when it's going to be a rug pull because usually there's some voiceover and there's something about the style of the voiceover in a rug pull trailer that just clues you in. This is actually a comedy. I think that's actually because if you were doing the actual thing that that trader was pretending to do, you wouldn't necessarily do it in that way. Oh, that's true. Maybe it just would not have voiceover. You would start with cards and not <laughs> revealing any information and this kind of overly serious music. It's just set off my trailer film knowledge uh, mm-hmm. alarm bells. So we talked about the end result, trailers that win awards, but um, how do you start the process as a trailer editor? So, uh, Derek, what's your process? Um, my process, I mean, for games, it's going to be a little bit different from movies because, of course, I have to make my own footage. Um, but the first step for, for games is usually to play as much of the game as I can to actually see everything that is in the game. And then if there's dialogue, usually what I do is uh, ask for all the raw voiceover files. Or if they have a spreadsheet we just tons and tons of dialogue on it and that might actually be faster to go through rather than try to listen to everything. And then for the dialogue, I have this process where I kind of take out the best bits, what sounds like the best bits, and then I sort of categorize them in a way that lets me kind of understand what is the story that each line of dialogue is telling. And then from those kind of extrapolations, I sort of construct the story together. So for example, uh, if the dialogue was something like, help, I'm trapped, then clearly there's some part of the story where someone gets trapped and then I have to figure out where that fits or if it's even relevant for the trailer. So do you, put that in a, do you put that in a category of this is what the line is? So, you know, you kind of summarize this is what the line is saying and you'll have several lines that do that or is it a more kind of general topic of action or... Uh, if I'm working off of the raw voiceover files, I will categorize things like exposition or this is a dialogue where a person was talking about another character, like if I need to do some character building and then there could be lines which are just like interjections where people are making grunts and that sort of thing or... I started doing this thing where some dialogue bits are talking about things that are happening either in the past, in the present, or in the future. So, for example, the past was like, he killed my father back in the day or something like that. And an example of like something that's currently happening would be like, he's escaping. And then the, the future would be like, let's do this. Sort of like 
So Let's escape. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I um, that's interesting because for me. Tense doesn't really matter because I'm so used to cheating things that I would take all three of those lines and I could probably find a way to fudge them in any tense. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I mean, I try to cheat as little as possible. I mean, of course, I think everyone does. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe... this is a, So this is a very trader-specific thing. What we're talking about here is cobbling lines together from different places to, to have a slightly... to slightly tweak the meaning. As, as Derek says, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to cheat too much but if you want the perfect reaction but they say a word slightly wrong or you know they don't make it a plural so you want an s on the end or that kind of thing it can really help when telling a story in the short form yeah because sometimes when they just don't have that perfect line of exposition maybe they explain something but it's in two or three lines but you don't have the time for two or three lines you just need to have this one thing so then you'll cobble something together people also call it frankensteining lines. Usually, if you're not looking for it, you don't hear it. But if you're really listening for it, then you could hear a line of dialogue that's clearly from maybe four lines of dialogue. And also, if you can't cobble the line, then sometimes it's better to ADR it and try and get the voice talent later. But sometimes those are kind of conspicuous as well. And you can kind of tell that something's been done. Yeah. And then also the the movie trailer industry, sometimes they just get a sound alike if they can't get the actor. Yeah, I try and I try and interject myself in as many trailers (laughs) as possible. From years ago, I'm in the trailer for United 93 doing a bad American accent. Oh, really? uh, (laughs) Which I think is probably egregious, but we needed that line of exposition that we didn't have. And uh, that's hilarious. I think my only claim to fame similar to that is I was working on the Mortal Kombat X Friday 13th Jason DLC and there's that Friday 13th sound where it's like and I had to record that for that trailer and they ended up using it in the game which is pretty amazing because I was thinking don't you have someone to do this but they're i guess they hadn't recorded it yet so like this is good enough we'll take it um but so for dialogue what's your process like yeah dialogue is probably the most important thing for me when i get started so nowadays my breakdown process has kind of changed over the years but what i do now is i'll watch the movie or show once and then i'll watch it again and break it down as i go and i'll only do that for dialogue and accents so so kind of audio things and i don't really worry about shots at that stage because i'll come back and do that later because dialogue is obviously really key for storytelling not that you can't storytell visually and it depends on the kind of project and the genre but for most things that i do dialogue is is the most important thing Um, i'm also very lucky to work in a shop where we have people doing dialogue breakdowns so people will literally transcribe every line of dialogue and match that to the bit of the film once that's completed you can kind of search by word so if i'm breaking something down now it's because i've kind of identified right this is something that i might want to use and for those who don't know just you probably can tell from context but breaking down is basically just taking the the show or the footage and then putting it in uh, cutting it up into tiny little bits yeah you've said something in the past um which is quite interesting about once you get it into those constituent parts you can almost shuffle them up or they become kind of disconnected you went to this kind of weird limbo where they become disconnected from the feature and you start thinking of them in terms of of that kind of shorter story or making connections between lines that may not be you know chronologically next to each other but all kind of in service of telling the story yeah because i mean this is one of the unique things about being a trailer editor which is why i think some feature film editors have trouble with it is because of that taking it out of context and just sometimes using it for a totally different meaning or a totally different order. But yeah, the process of taking the dialogue and understanding what story it's telling is the part of my process that I've refined the most in the past year or so that's helped the most because before I would just look at the dialogue and sort of 
move things around on the timeline and say, this sort of sounds like the beginning of the trailer. So it would take a, a really long time and be pretty excruciating. So how is your dialogue organized? Are you on Avid? Yeah, so I'm on Avid. So basically I'll cut from the feature onto a sequence some people kind of subclip do their own subclips like i was saying that the assistants will do and and then kind of label those up in a bin but i'll tend to do just kind of one big sequence of dialogue so i'll take effectively a feature that's an hour 30 to sometimes four or five hours and i'll break that down into one sequence so you know that may only be 15 to 30 minutes and then as i go through the process as i'm kind of cutting something maybe i'll turn that 30 minutes into kind of five minutes of actual stuff that I feel like I'm going to use. So it's all the process of gradually reducing it. Most of my dialogue editing I just do on paper, basically. And then I'll probably end up with an edit that's, I don't know, four minutes long. And then once I have it in the sequence based off of my paper edit, then I'll just start taking stuff out. Yeah, something I've started doing recently is kind of making notes as I watch the film, which I'd never really done before. I'd always try to kind of watch the the material kind of clean as a viewer first, but now I'm kind of for time reason that you know there's so many projects going on that i kind of i've started kind of making notes as i go and then that i know that's something i want to come back to because i liked the inflection or what it was doing or you know after a couple of years of this you hear something and you go you know that's a trailer line do you ever run into time constraints in terms of breakdown or do you usually get to work with a breakdown each time uh no i don't always get to work with the breakdown it kind of varies ideally i would have the, t- the time to break it down but it kind of depends uh sometimes what i will do as well if i come onto a project late is i will break down existing materials mm. so potentially there are trailers that have already been cut trailers that have already been finished and we've got the splits for them and that's just illustrative of my process in general which is i like to be kind of as prepared as i can and surround myself with content and ideas how do you approach your visual breakdowns so visual breakdowns i used to do very differently i I used to kind of mark stuff at the same time as I was trying to do dialogue as well. Um, and then I read an interview with Mark Woolen where he said he would watch the movie Mute to see what the visual storytelling was doing and also kind of note if someone's saying a line of dialogue, then the reaction shot of someone looking at them, you may not actually notice it if you can hear the dialogue. But if you can't hear the dialogue, then actually that might just be the kind of perfect reaction shot for something. So that's how I break down visuals now. But that's when I'm working with pre-existing material. How do you do it when you don't necessarily have shots to uh, to start with right so that's that's the thing that makes making game trailers so much different because usually i'm not working with a game that has something like cutscenes, which are a preset sequence so usually what i need to do is do a first rough capture of the game and then figure out what needs to be in each shot in terms of say the setting or what the player is doing in that shot. And then I'll make my first rough cut will basically be a bunch of shots where the ideas of the shots are all there, but like the composition is totally wrong, the timing is wrong, uh, and maybe even it's in the wrong level or something like that. And then later on, I'll maybe send that cut to the client, just say like, hey, these are the ideas. The capture is not good right now, but if the ideas are sound, then I'm gonna go back and then you know nicely compose everything have it all timed up maybe to the music um, because i like to kind of synchronize multiple actions in the gameplay to the music a lot of the time so is that just a way of kind of accumulating some kind of visuals even though you don't necessarily know what they are yet some kind of essentially markers for what you will use later yeah it basically is because even though 
I can put in, say, text, like a placeholder saying, this shot should be the character jumping and making a fireball. It's interesting. It's also kind of something that I do as well when I'm kind of, this is getting beyond the breakdown and, and beyond the blank timeline. But what I do sometimes when I'm doing trailers is put a bit of text up on the screen saying, action montage here. Right. And, <laughs> you know, exposition dialogue here. And like, she goes on a journey here. And it's all that kind of like shaping it out with an eye that you're going to go back and kind of refine that later, but thinking of the kind of bigger picture. Yeah, I, I often put something that says, like, the most beautiful shot possible. <laughs> yeah. Also, I kind of, uh, something that I like to do before I get started is kind of watch trailers in, in similar genres and kind of surround myself with the genre and see what's gone before and see how I kind of might subvert that and do something different. Subject to, obviously, part of that is also kind of getting the brief from the client and their idea of kind of what they want to do with it um, and how they see it. Yeah, typically people just have no idea what the heck they want for their game trailer. Very, very, very occasionally I get people who have either a storyboard or a general idea, but usually they just say, we don't know, so you should just figure out the best thing. And then what I do is I just ask them a bunch of questions. I say, you know, what's the most important part of this game? What's the hook? And some of it I can kind of figure out on my own, but I still just want to hear from them, like, what's important. And I actually get to send them pretty rough cuts which is totally opposite of movie trailer industry, basically, because you would never send a, a rough cut which said, like, beautiful shot in text, probably. Yeah, well, I, I think part of that is, you know, we're in competition with lots of other people. So, you know, you, you want your, your first cut that go, goes out to be as polished as it possibly can be. Um, whereas I think, I guess for you, they wouldn't be trying out a couple of different people, right? Once you're on the trailer, you're on the trailer and you will probably finish it, right? Yeah, and that's that's a big thing with the game industry. Even even not even at the indie level. Um, I think when I was working at agencies in Hollywood, working on like big budget games, there was maybe only one time where I was working on a trailer that didn't finish. Which to a movie trailer editor right now is like every day. It's every day that you work on something or you've been working on something for months and it no one can ever see it because it didn't finish. Yeah, it's a funny thing about um, the trailer business. You get very used to it, but yeah, the percentage of of work that we do that gets finished is uh, is very. Small. Let's talk a little bit about music, which I think for you will be much more of a process than for me, because for music with indie game trailers, either there's already music that exists in the game, but more often than not now, I get to work with the game's composer. So I can send that rough cut with just like the text on it and then give some notes for what I think the music should be doing at any given moment and just say, that's your direction, go and make something custom for that, which is totally different from working in movie trailers would there ever be a case of you putting down kind of temp music uh kind of like they do when they're cutting feature films they'll put down feet you know they'll put down temp score from other feature films as a kind of you know kind of like what we're talking about with with our title tool and and fake shots a kind of marker of okay it's this kind of tone as a, as a kind of starting point could that be the same for trailers where you would put some music down and as a kind of guide for the composer and say okay it's this tone or right i've actually very very rarely put in any sort of temp music usually i just work blank and say once you give me some music i will readjust to your music and then give you some notes is that a thing for specifically indie games then because i because obviously you know you look at the kind of triple a games and they're similar to what a, a Hollywood movie trailer would have musically, either kind of a big production library cue or a cover or a band or something, a cue that's been trailerized. Yeah, when I worked in like AAA sort of game trailer space, the novelty that I had was that it was the first time I ever worked with a music supervisor. So in the, the game trailer place that I worked at, the music supervisor would go to music library companies and say, I'm looking for this. And then 
get two dozen cues or more. Oh, and then also the music supervisor would usually tell me, okay, we have the budget for like one cue from this library. So then I would have to just use those constraints to pick my music. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to have constraints because that's kind of the problem sometimes with, you know, I'm very used to working kind of with constraints where people will say, oh, you know, we have a very, very little budget or, you know, yes, stick to this specific library. Um, And sometimes when people go, nope, you know, anything's on the table, put the Beatles on it. You know, sometimes (laughs) then it's harder because the world is your oyster musically yeah i have a kind of similar process i'll generally these days i'll work with music supervisors who know all the kind of libraries and listen to everything as it come in and also know have huge kind of encyclopedias in their head of of cues because it's what they do for a living and that's kind of part of my process because i will also find stuff that i've pulled for other projects it's kind of part of my specific process and it's not how everyone works but i tend to surround myself with music Mm. because i always feel like there will be the perfect cue out there that will solve all my problems and I'll listen to it and I'll go, yes, that trader cuts itself because it sets the perfect tone, it has the right pace, it has that immediate impact that kind of hits you and you go, wow, this is cool or this is emotional or obviously when we start working on, on stuff, there isn't necessarily music in the movie but that will be something I'll start with as well if there's pop cues in there. It's always good to know kind of where they are going musically so you can do something similar so you're not doing something from completely left field. It's kind of within the the tone and what the movie's trying to do yeah and i'm also not a person who listens to a lot of music like most of the music that i listen to is from soundtracks or i don't know hamilton but i had some friends who worked in trailers who just i knew they were just listening to music all the time like they would get into work in the morning and say oh my god i heard this song on the radio yeah no i've definitely had that that case where you'll hear something on the on the radio and you go yes that kind of solves a problem especially if you're in that kind of fog that you go into when you're breaking something down it kind of occupies your thinking and you'll be in the shower and you'll go oh that's you know that's that's the perfect story solution there and and obviously at that time if you hear something you'll go yes that's the perfect thing obviously there's nothing wrong listening to hamilton because because uh, the john wick parabellum trailer has a song from a musical in it so clearly we should all be listening to musicals that's true that's the next uh, <laughs> when's the trailer with the dark cover from hamilton come out <laughs> when they make the Hamilton film, probably. Probably. Okay, so yeah, I think that kind of covers the very beginning part of making a trailer because everything past the breaking it down, searching for music, and then working on ideas is the actual editing and then refining and then the whole iteration part, which uh, we'll definitely talk about in a future episode. But if you have any questions about that kind of like starting the process and or, or you know, comments on on how you do it um feel free to uh drop us an email or a a tweet so because we launched this week we've had people kind of contacting us with kind of questions and theories and someone dropped us an email and said what about low frequency stings uh this is from jeffrey zablotny says hey dark and rick fantastic podcast as a filmmaker and editor it's a treat to hear such thoughtful discussion thank you Uh, i was hoping to hear you both weigh in on trends in low frequency stings which are everywhere but are featured quite prominently in the new trailer for ford versus ferrari it strikes me as interesting that it's one of the few techniques that uniquely optimized for theatrical experiences and does doesn't necessarily translate to other ways trailers might be viewed, uh, parentheses, phones, computers, etc. Best, Jeffrey Zablotny. First of all, what is a low-frequency sting? What's he talking about? I believe a low-frequency, because I wouldn't necessarily call it a sting. I might call it a drop or a bass drop or something like that. It's that kind of thing that, that, that became prevalent about five to ten years ago, kind of post-Transformers. And yeah, like, yes, or something exactly. very low. Yes, something that sounds exactly like this. And yes, that is something that kind of really cuts through, but as you say, doesn't necessarily cut through if you're watching it on your phone. 
when we're designing trailers for theatrical you will try and get a load of frequencies in there of sound effects you'll get some kind of top end kind of crashy crunchy kind of high frequency stuff and you'll also have lower sub hits and basses that really go to that kind of sub speaker that's in the theater to kind of really kind of reverberate around people and that kind of falls into that territory although by the very nature of them kind of going from a higher frequency to a lower frequency there might be some of it you hear on a phone and some of it you don't at the point where your your phone speaker can't handle the bass it was a real new development in trailer sound design a couple of years ago uh and now i think people are actually kind of moving away from it slightly it's become a bit of a cliche um and if people do it now it's kind of in conjunction with other kind of more organic hits as well in a way it's kind of like a very slowed down version of a record scratch yeah yeah basically it's that kind of like we finish now kind of or a tape you know a tape stop yeah, just, just something to bring the whole trailer to a stop and just kind of make a big point of this moment. You know, this is very important. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, uh, kind of, um, even when you go to a trailer mix and you go to these kind of massive studios where they normally mix feature films and you hear it on amazing speakers, often when that mix is completed, you will then listen to it on a pair of basically computer speakers or a TV speaker to kind of have an idea of how it's playing on there and you might need to adjust your mix because of that. Right. And there's, is they only make one mix for basically everything, right? And maybe it's, I guess, stereo version or something like that? Um, it, depends on, it depends on the trailer. They'll obviously do a kind of 5-1 big version and then I think what they'll initially do is fold that down to stereo and see how that sounds. And that's the point where you might need to adjust it and do its own kind of stereo mix. Yeah. And I mean, for my trailers, I don't actually put a lot of sound design in my trailers for games because um, I think with games, you run the risk of either making people think that it's part of the soundscape of the actual game. But also, I think a lot of the sound design in movie trailers is made to like jazz up something that is otherwise fairly mundane i don't know i just never feel the need to put sound effects in unless maybe i have some title cards also game sound design is amazing so you will probably have those sounds from the game itself right actually that's something else i didn't think about is uh, a lot of times with movie trailers you don't actually have the sound design from the movie so you have to just fill the space with your own yeah yeah so a lot of kind of foley sound obviously feature sound design is amazing and at the point when you get it in it's amazing because their their hits and their punches and everything sound great so it's good to have if you if you have it but um sometimes it isn't quite right and you'll need to find your own because it doesn't work with the music or whatever so yeah and that's why you run into movie trailers and spots which all have like the same gun cocking sound effect or the the same door sound effects or the same uh sort of uh sword like shing sound which always kind of drives me a little bit crazy but i understand that the conditions they're working under yeah there's a sound effect it kind of in the vein of this kind of low frequencies things there's a there's a sound effect called twisting girders by moss landing kind of like a really low frequency deep creaking metal that sounds a bit like a whale call but it it was uh it was the perfect thing for a kind of like a building's going down but we don't want to actually hear it it's this kind of understated kind of like <laughs> it's, it's kind of like when they put animal sounds into things in in movies yeah like 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 a truck crashing into another truck or something like that yeah sound designers have a lot of fun and on a similar note to that we've had an email from alman and he said uh how does sound design enhance a trailer um and that's something that we're going to return to for an entire topic at some point in the future yeah but just generally it just adds another layer to the trailer other than either the existing sound from the movie or game or the music and just 
it's a way to just emphasize and make things punchier uh, because otherwise, even in a really good music track, there could, in trailer terms, be a relative amount of dead air, even though it's still like big and bombastic, um, and just a, like a way to draw attention to certain things. Yeah, I'd get, most sound effects that get put in are kind of working in conjunction with the music to to kind of add more emphasis or, or you know, kind of a rise, for example, would be kind of saying, oh, you know, this track's gonna this track's gonna stop soon and it's gonna be important, and then we've got to stop, kind of thing, you know. Whereas the music cue isn't doing that itself, so you need a sound effect to, to help. Yeah, it just kind of guides the audience through the whole trailer. All right, so that's it for questions. If you have questions of your own, you can send them to cutdown at idlethumbs.net. You can find us on Twitter at cutdowncast. And on Twitter, I am Derek underscore Lou. And I'm Rick Thomas. And we are part of the Idle Thumbs podcast network. Please uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you can and tell your friends. It's the best way to help us out and get this podcast in front of more people. And we also want to give a special thank you to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. And we'll be back in another couple weeks with more stuff about trailers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.